Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Hard to Tell Podcast, episode 193, Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. You joining us as usual. We thank you for listening. And Brian, yeah. we are back. Uh, second episode for September. We have now kicked off, which I know is going to be weird for some people because I didn't know the reason for this until literally like a year ago. But we are now kicking off officially Hispanic Heritage Month. Starts in the middle oh. of September. Yeah. Goes to the middle of October. Yeah. And so, you know, Brian and I, I think for the last couple of years, we, you know, we've always wanted to do more around Hispanic Heritage Month. We try to do stuff around Women's History Month, Black History Month. We always like to, you know, make sure we focus on those topics and people around that in the world of sports and entertainment. So today, Brian and I, we have a very special guest. Yes. And I'm really excited for this guest to join us here oh, on so the podcast. I know. Did you, did, did, you, did, you, did you see the pause there? Because I was like, I might mess up the last name, and I don't want to mess up the last name. I'm actually scared because before we started recording, I confirmed what the last name was in X. terms of the pronunciation. The X, the X is scaring you. See, this and, is why I like that you're the play-by-play guy, and I could just stay on the sidelines and be like, yo, yo. And and I know how to say the name because you're, you you see the shirt you already know what time I, it is. I, I I'm I'm a little nervous because I think it's possible I still might butcher it and she's going to come on in a second and scold me for butchering it. So you know, uh, we have uh, somebody with this. My producer Greg is trying to tell me I got this, but I'm still nervous. <laughs> I'm still stalling a little bit, folks, in the way I can. But we have Camille Buxida, the creative director for W Slam. Also you works for Slam. Did I get it? I got it. You got it. You got oh, it. <laughs> yes. Okay. I felt because you know what, Camille? I felt like you would have to be like, man, his memory is bad. I just told him this like five <laughs> years ago. And yeah, you messed it up. Okay. Now you I got that. it. Camille representing Puerto Rico, like mm-hmm. Brian. Right. I believe Brian, is this the first time we have this is not our first Puerto Rican guest that's been on the show beside you, right? Because we also had Julio. Um yeah, Julio, yeah. So we had it. Camille might, Camille's number two, right? Camille number we two. Yeah, many. I have yeah. to look at. Look, we've done 193. I would have to look back quite a lot. I would have to look back to four years of episodes. You know yeah. what I mean? So well, we I'll have back to you on that. But I, I we have think, had, I do think Camille is uh, second, third, or something like that. Which, something you know, like that. I, that the means first I have, woman, the first woman. Definitely that. I'm woman? pretty sure of that. I'm pretty go. confident about that. Yeah, because Erica's Dominican. Yep. And now that I'm trying to run through all the names in my head, we've had a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Yeah. And this is why there's like one of this, two of this, whatever. It's Love not it. one straight line. Like, you know, some of these podcasts, just white people bring it on. White people, like, it's <laughs> I know obviously it not that over here. <laughs> yeah, it's not I mean, him. Yeah. 
But uh, Camille, we are glad to have you. Um, definitely, definitely join us here. We we thank you for that. And I think what we just spoke about is a testament of how there is just a, such a lack of representation of you know those in the Hispanic community around sports media. Brian and I have talked about that a lot, um, which is why we're definitely happy to have you on here. But I think first and foremost, whenever we have anybody who's on here that works in sports media, doesn't matter who you are, what's your background, we want to get to know you. We want the people to get to know you. So. I, you know, I always kind of hate when people put you on the spot and they're like, tell me about yourself. But, Camille, <laughs> tell me about yourself. <laughs> now, now you're about to do it to me. Um, no, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, I uh, started WSLAM about two years ago. Uh, prior to that, though, a little bit about me. I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, my dad played professional basketball in Puerto Rico. Oh, um, hold on, so hold, on, hold, on, hold, on <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Wait, I need details. Was it in was it in the BSN league? Did he you know go elsewhere or whatever the case may be? My dad my dad is old old. He's uh seventy-four. Oh god, I hope I'm praying I got that right. He was born in forty seven. I know that. <laughs> but he's older, so yes, yeah, I know. Seventy four, right? OG, you know. Yep. You got it right. OG. <laughs> so he played in the in the league. I mean, I think it was like late six. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of like years, so 20 years. He was like in his 20s, so like late 60s, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, 70s, yeah. You know, he was a solid bench warmer. I always tell him that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I tell Pops how it is. <laughs> um, no, but he played for a couple of teams over there. Um, I I have them written down because I don't know if the ones that I'm I'm thinking of are still existing now since they were so much older. A lot of them um, change, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but that was always a bond for us. I grew up watching basketball games with him and and going to different sporting events. He took me to the Expos games when they came to Puerto Rico every wow. year. Uh. Yes, I went to Expos games baseball wise. Um, and we went to a lot of basketball games growing up and all that stuff. So um, it was always a big tie for me. Um, I moved to the to Florida around Orlando when I was like seven. Um, and actually, when I moved to the States, I had already started doing gymnastics. Because let me tell you something. My mom is 5'1". My dad had the height, but my mom did not. And I did not get any of those inches until much, much later. So <laughs> basketball was not in the cards for me, unfortunately. I couldn't, I couldn't do a little Nate Robinson. I didn't have that in me at that time. Um, so okay. I ended I, up. I tried, I tried that too. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, I did gymnastics my whole life. I started in uh, a gym in Guaynabo um, with a family friend. Um, and then when I moved to the States, I continued. I did it for 16 years, um, competed professionally. And, and then I was about to, you know, start the recruiting process and had some unfortunate injuries uh, take me out of that game. But Gladly, I was able to uh, go to Florida State and do some, you know, experience one of the best collegiate programs from basketball to football all around, um, softball, so many incredible teams at that school. Um, and I worked in the athletic department there for about three and a half, four years, almost my entire college experience. Um, I was pre-med, so let me just give you a side note. I was pre-med for <laughs> almost three years. I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I was like, oh, the sports things is for fun. This is for fun. I'm just doing this on the side. I'm going to be a doctor. Um, 
did quickly realize I did not want to go to medical school. So um, when I graduated, I, I knew New York was the place I needed to be. I don't know what happened. Like, I think I came to New York City one time and I was like, this, yo, this is the spot for me. Like, it's not even a question. Like, I belong in New York City. Um, and I did, I got my master's at NYU in sports business um, and interned for the Knicks and the Liberty while in my first year. My second year, I did some freelance work. Um, and then I made my way to the NBA for about a year and then that's when slam found me. So it's been a journey for sure with a lot of ups and downs, but very, very blessed to, to be in the position I'm in today. There's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, worth following <laughs> up on. I will say about the New York thing. It's like, look, our background is kind of our destiny to come up here mm -hmm. at some point and relocate, uh, as we were joking about before. Um, I want to know what it's like, uh, being a Latina in, in Tallahassee, Florida in yeah. particular. And I also want to know, uh, well, Dexter, I mean, y'all have an ACC thing going because Dex went to Pitt. Okay. Y'all are rivals. I almost went to Pitt. I almost went to Pitt. I got so in. So why did, why, did you, why did you make the wrong choice? So because wrong choice? I ain't trying to pay 40 grand to go out of state <laughs> like a year. <laughs> Florida got some real nice in-state tuition programs. Fit, Let me just fit, say that. <laughs> fair, fair, fair point. And to be fair to Camille, I am new to the ACC thing. You know, Camille is one of the original OG ACC members. I was in the Big East during my college yeah, time. Yeah. And now we're in ACC uh, competing. But so so that's good. We got a little Pitt, AC, uh, Pitt uh, Florida State ACC stuff here. Even though Camille made the wrong choice, we're going to let her rock, <laughs> rock on that. But I do think Brian's question is valid because I have – I'll say this, Camille. I have not spent any significant time in Tallahassee. Yeah. But I did stop there once in a previous job on a flight. Um, going to so going to another location in Florida, going yeah. to um, Panama City Beach uh, for mm. some coverage I was doing there. But I think Brian's question is like Tallahassee is a very interesting. That part of Florida yeah. is very interesting. Northern Florida is yeah. very interesting, especially for minorities and uh, la a Hispanic person like yourself. Yeah. I would I want to know all about this. What was it like being there at Florida State in Tallahassee at that time? Yeah, it's really interesting because. I mean, I would say the same thing of like North Orlando where I was, you know, mm. it was similarly pretty whitewashed. Um, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I recognized it. Cause like, you know, you're so young, you're just kind of going through it. Um, but like, it's mad funny. Like my best friend that I met since I was like four years old, it's like this white girl and I bring her around. She's like, Oh my God, I'm learning salsa. <laughs> so I'm out here culturing <laughs> my friends. <laughs> Um, but it's funny because I, you know, you don't recognize it until you get a little older, if I'm honest. And in college is when I really started recognizing, like, damn, like, like there's really no one around me that, like, you know, moves like me, has similar experiences like me, all right. of that. You know, at Florida State, I will say there was a lot of people from Miami, a lot mm. of people from Miami. So you have a lot of, like, that South, that South Florida, like, and most of them come from Hispanic parents, but they weren't physically raised where their parents are from or um maybe it's more of like third generation as opposed to like directly being um i guess associated with their um, latinx cultures um and so it was something that i started recognizing honestly if i'm honest with myself when i was in my early 20s which was like my uh -huh. junior senior year of college and i'm like and i think that's what drew me to new york so much 
is that I was like craving to be with people that are different like myself. Like I, I wanted to see, you know, not only people that look like me, but that look different than me around me, you know? And like in Tallahassee, um, you know, the university itself, a lot of the students I worked with, I mean, it, it's an incredible school that's extremely diverse, um, the university itself. But when you jump out of those, you know, four by four square lines, it's very different, um, especially when you go closer to the capital or more into the town. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I, I hadn't necessarily given a lot of, of uh, a thought to until, you know, I started really recognizing it around me. And um, I, I was really blessed to have some cool, I mean, incredible people that I went to school with, um, not only like friends, but people I worked with on student government, um, and different organizations that I that were you know specific about diversity within the university and highlighting um, diverse voices. So that was I think one of my favorite parts of my time at Florida State was really being and and I didn't get connected because like you know we all know what freshman and sophomore year like is in college. It's like oh I'm all new I'm by myself I'm figuring it out oh like let me you know there's no real att- and then I started guiding myself to to those opportunities a little bit more um, in my later latter half of college, which was really really great. So I had to ask this because you talked about your dad being a professional basketball player mm-hmm. and that he was a taller, uh, is a taller man. And um, you did not get the height. Uh, you got the height pretty much like your mom. Mm-hmm. And we've had other people on this podcast and Brian has brought this up. I'll just for full disclosure, you've never met me, Camille, in person. I'm 6'2". So I okay. do not uh, occupy that short person space. But, <laughs> but Brian does. Brian knows about that. So I, Brian has always said that being a shorter person He's always had a certain kind of energy, maybe like a chip on his shoulder energy that people have always doubted him, thought he couldn't do certain things. Has that been your experience, Camille? Have you had that kind of a, a sm- smaller person energy that, that has been around like Brian, like on, your, your on, Hispanic brother here? Before, before she answers that, Camille, first, about 5'8", you know, we'll, we'll, since you, since Dexter said your height. Uh, and also, you say have you say had like that's gone. You oh no, it's I mean? not gone. Like, I it's apologize. Like, like, like that's gonna be there for the rest of my life. I, 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 apologize. Like, I apologize to Brian and Camille for let's correct this. Uh, Brian still has this energy. Our producer Brad can attest this energy. So what I want to know you is you're a gym- have, you cannot have it. You're, you're a gymnast. You're a gymnast. That's a sport you chose, as you said, because of your vertical limitations. And you, I just want to know, did you have, <laughs> our producer put some height deficient energy. I didn't, I didn't say that. I just saw it. <laughs> Greg, you're not that much taller than me, bro. Like, <laughs> I just want to know if Camille has the same energy as her shorter Hispanic brother here on this program. Well, you know, what's funny. Um, I got my inches eventually. They came. I I was four foot nine going into high school. Let me preface it with that. I graduated high school like around five one. I'm actually like five, five and a half now. I just hit like my growth spurts super, super late. Gymnastics tends to do that. It actually does stunt growth um, in, in all areas. So it's funny you say that, but, um, I don't know if it comes from my height, but I've always had that chip on my shoulder of like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Watch. Oh, you See? don't think I, I can be a creative director? Watch. Oh, you don't See? think, you know, I got like, you know, I got the juice? Watch. Like I, you know, I've always carried that around me. I do think it comes from Puerto Rican culture though, more so than the height thing. Because I think okay. in Puerto Rico, mm. we're all so proud, not only of where we're from, but our community and and 
and everything that Puerto Rico stands for. Um, and when you think about the history of the island too, it's a forgotten spot, right? Like it's a spot that's been conquered or, you know, colonized twice and really just kind of left to the side and pushed to the side to deal with itself. And so Puerto Ricans have a lot of like energy and swagger amongst themselves to be like, oh, you think like we're like some forgotten people? No, 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 no. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm putting on for our island. So um, that's a little bit, I think, of where it comes from because Puerto Rico has a lot of pride of where it's from, um, especially when you move to the States and so many people just kind of claim it as a, you know, forgotten. Oh, it's just a tropical spot. Like it's like where mm -hmm. I'm going for, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, like it's, it's, it's a real functioning place that, you know, has just gone through some, some shit in, in the past 200 years since it's well, been well, well, I'm happy. That I was happy. I was happy to use the word colonization there. Go ahead, yes. Brian. I was happy yes. to use that word. Yes. That is one of my favorite answers that a guest has given on this podcast in the history of this show. Like I'm not even like exaggerating. Like, why? Because why? Why? Because now you can uh, you can have a cover for your your height deficiency it, as, as no, said, no, as your no, reason because, for this. Because there's also it just peels back some more layers. No, you know sure, it mean? was very layered. I think Dude, Camille's response was very layered, and I can't speak back, to that. I am not Puerto Rican. But yeah. Yeah. And I I'm not of look of all the things I do professionally. I'm not a creative director because I'm not that sophisticated to come up with an answer. I suggest yeah. this book to people: The War Against All Puerto Ricans. It's such uh, a real, yes. honest history okay. of what Puerto Rico's gone through. I've I recently read it and and was shocked to learn so many things that I didn't know that weren't taught in the history books or weren't taught by even by my parents or grandparents. Um, so it was really, yeah, I highly suggest it for people that the are The war, the war against all Puerto Ricans, huh? Yep, yeah, yep. I have to read that also, but I have heard a good deal about it. And I also, mm -hmm. on that same note, I recommend the La Brega podcast by mm -hmm. uh, Futuro Studios, which I've listened to and we had Julio up here to talk about from yep. Futuro Studios, um, which is a seven-part series on basically the history of Puerto Rico and how it's mm -hmm. been colonized and where it's at now, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. both those things. Women's boxing. Puerto Rico. Speaking of creative director, because we mentioned that earlier, uh, W Slam. So mm -hmm. I remember, because when I was doing some freelancing on Slam, this was 2019, 2020, I remember W Slam, this is when it started to pop up on my feed all the time. And yeah. I was probably one of the early followers. Like I remember when it didn't even have 10K followers. And I've been following it <laughs> for OG, a minute. OG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just remember it sort of popping up or whatever. And then to how this podcast came together, you were on some sort of panel or whatever that popped up on my feed. And mm -hmm. then I clicked on you and then the other person, I forget who it was, forgive me, but whatever. 
And <laughs> this was like this was like the bat signal, Dex. You're gonna laugh when I say this. But clicked on Camille's profile, read whatever, Florida State alum, creative director, W Slam. I was like, oh shit, I know W Slam. Puerto Rican flag. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> You're like, I was like, wait, was the shock because there was a, a Puerto Rican creative director? Because I would understand that a shock would be understandable pe- to me. People, in this space. listen, and s- look, I've Slam is one of the places like the, that I've done work with that I've actually really enjoyed, right? And we've talked about that. We've picked them up here on this podcast. But a lot of places are not going to have the balls to take a chance on somebody with that background, right? Mm-hmm. So that was very important to, to see. But Camille, just when did you get the idea for, you know, sort of uh, creating W Slam and pushing that forward? Because I, I had heard an interview recently, and I'm going to bring this to wrestling. Sorry, Dex. Uh, Tony Khan is the person in charge of AEW. They had asked him about, like, hey, like, how did you come up with this idea? And he's like, I've been formulating this in my head for like 10 or so years already. It just mm-hmm. happened to be the time. So was this something that you had always envisioned, uh, you know, in this space for like 10, 12 years or as long as you can remember? Or did this just come out be like, yo, we need something like this for our culture, for women in particular, in basketball, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was an interesting transition, right? Because like I was technically at my first gig out of college, right? Like I, I'm in grad school, so I had done some jobs, but nothing that's like, this is your money, this is how you're living, this is you know everything. And that was at the at the WNBA, and I was working on their social team. Um, and while I was there, uh, I was really fortunate that unlike the NBA side, there's a lot of freedom there to to really. Um, use my vision, right? Um, yes, there's a lot of red tape. You still have to get things approved, but they, they were really open in letting me kind of try out, you know, what I thought. And as with that freedom, I started formulating this vision for what I feel like women's basketball coverage should look like. Um, mm. Unfortunately, that, you know, at the league itself is not the place for it, if, you know, mm. if I'm honest, more because the league itself is just about celebrating the game and that's what they are meant to do. And everyone else is meant to do the rest. That The same way the yeah. NBA is. The NBA doesn't do, you know, the NBA focuses on the game itself and lets everyone do the rest. Um, yeah, it's a PR it, arm, basically. Ex- exactly. And so um, I, you know, I hadn't thought about leaving the NBA, the WNBA, if I'm honest, I was like, you know what, I'm, I have a voice here. I, you know, I'm in front of the real key decision makers. I'm, I'm, I'm able to, you know, push things forward. Um, and, and Adam Figman found me, um, through actually an interesting connection that I had worked with someone at the NBA was friends with, uh, the founder of league fits. Um, and they knew they wanted to do a women's basketball brand. They knew they wanted to do that. So I think, um, they were really looking for the right person to implement it. So it was funny because it's like, it wasn't something that I'd been thinking of forever, but they thought of it. And I had already been thinking about my own vision. And so it kind of came together at one time, at one period. Cause it's like, Hey, we don't want to tell you what to do, but we are going to give you the platform to do whatever you want to do without all the red tape of the, of the, you know, WNBA and, and all those things. So um, it was a really a fortuitous moment. I would say just cause it, it allowed um, you know, my vision, like that was brewing so much, so many ideas that I couldn't do that I was like itching to do. And then, you know, this was the platform to be able to do them. Um, and not only that, but I, I know the history slam has in basketball. I mean, I, I have had magazines from way back when, and I knew the, 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 the hold and some, and how cemented it was in the, in the basketball world and how authentic it was too. 
Um, and I really appreciate that about it. And I think for me, I always wanted to, to connect, especially when I was at the league art and basketball. And, you know, that's exactly what Slam has always done. Um, so it was just a perfect, I mean, blessing in disguise, like something that came out of the blue, but, you know, a perfect match uh, for me to be at and help grow this this brand now. How much did you think about, Camille, when you got this opportunity that mm -hmm. I'm the person stepping into this, I'm the creative director, I'm a woman of color, I'm a Hispanic woman, I'm a Puerto Rican woman doing this. I think sometimes when you're the first doing something, especially stepping in the space, yeah. you don't, it doesn't really grab you in that way until you sit back later and look at it. And I'm sure now you've had some time to look at it, but how, do, you know, just what were your thoughts about that? Being the first person doing this, being yeah. a, a woman of color, particularly a Puerto Rican woman in this space, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of pride in that because you said yeah. that's how Puerto Rican people feel about things. Trying to mask the short we're energy, very, <laughs> but, we're very prideful. We're no, extremely prideful. Extremely like, prideful with the island for real. Yeah, and I, I think I think in all that, I would assume there has to be a great deal of pride in what you're doing. You're hearing it from other people. You hear how Brian bigs you up on this. Um, just just what are your thoughts about that? About you know being the first creative director and being a Puerto Rican woman doing this. Um, it's funny. I, um, I didn't think I was ready. I, sh I actually turned down the job, uh, the first time wow. Oh, wow. more because I was so nervous. One, you know, I didn't play the game myself. So I felt like, you know what, maybe this is better fit for someone that's, you know, honestly more, I mean, not authentic because I do am authentically cemented in, in basketball and women's basketball. That's not, it's just more of like, you know, someone that lived it. So I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Like, I don't know if this is right. So I turned it down and it, um, it I think it was also a little bit of fear um, that kind of, you know, caused me to do that. Um, luckily I had some really great friends around me and, and not only that, but slam, you know, kept pushing. And, and even though I turned them down, they came back and said, okay, well, listen, what do you need to do to make it work? Um, wow. And I had some really great friends around me that saying, you know, Camille, like you, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and, and really reminding me, I'll never forget. I was at Red Lobster in Times Square, just gotten off the bus or my friend had just gotten off the bus from Port Authority because she works in Secaucus and we went to Red Lobster and I'm sitting there like, yo, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if this is right. She's like, yo, like she literally shook me. She's like, if you don't do this, like I, you are going to look back in five years and be mad at yourself. And so <laughs> eating those, those dope ass biscuits that we all right. love from Red Lobster. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can, we pause, can we pause for one second? And, and Greg, been a camera right here. Camille, yeah. what, do I, what do I have right here? Yo! This is a Cheddar Bay biscuit. Uh, a Red Lobster. Cheddar, I, I literally was eating one right before the podcast started. A Cheddar Bay biscuit. What so it could fuck? not have been more perfect. Red Lobster. Oh, not, we ain't gonna talk too much because Red Lobster is not giving us money for this segment, so we're gonna talk about that too much longer. <laughs> we don't gotta but, talk yes. about it, but uh, I want, anyway. the, the biscuits are dope. Yes, yeah, very good. <laughs> they give us money for this segment. You know, feel free. Uh, look, we're, we're open for we're, Dex, no, we're, Lobster, we're free agents. We're, we're free agents, Dex. We're open for business. We're open for business. Sorry, Camille, I, I had to do that no, once you said about good, the biscuits. <laughs> Go um, ahead. No, but yeah, it was just one of those things that. Um, I don't, the weight on me, weight of it really weighed on me more than I think. Like, I, I think, I think like now, now looking back, I realize it. Cause like, I wouldn't turn that down in my right mind now, but it's just <laughs> then it's like, you feel the weight of everything. Right. Um, and it, it I, I knew stepping in, it was an extremely important role and I took it seriously from day one. Like I lived, breathed and ate, slept W slam for basically until we hit our hundred grand, our hundred thousand, 
followers, our first hundred thousand. Um, and from there I started, you know, trying to have a life a little bit, <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it, it was definitely something that I, I took with seriousness day one and, and have since, and I, because I know, um, how much the space is lacking this type of coverage, um, and how much this type of coverage helps games grow. Um, you look at the NBA, people are not only attached to the game itself. Now it's, oh, what's someone wearing in the tunnel? Oh, what's someone listening to? Oh, what rapper is this person with? So um, there is, no, it, it's like it is. And that's how you draw in audiences that may not be basketball fans. Because here's the it thing when you talk mm -hmm. about women's basketball. For the most part, if you're a true hooper, you like women's basketball. Like yep, if you're yep. a real basketball lover, Yep. But you know that the purest form of basketball is women's basketball. So you love it and you respect it and you appreciate that game. And so the basketball community was never the one I was, you know, reaching for, which, yes, we got them. That that was always going to be. And also, mind you, Slam has covered women's basketball since the early days. I mean, Shamika Holdsclaw was on the cover in 98. I remember that. I mean, there's punk sections with Tina Charles, with Candace Parker. You looking all the way back and, and there's coverage. There's always been coverage. Um, but... You know, I knew that stepping into this, I, I had to, you know, take it to that next level and really try and attract new audiences. And that's that's been the goal and, and, and finding ways to, you know, connect these humans and well-rounded individuals with fans across the world. So um, the weight of it definitely was was hard in the beginning, but I, I feel like I've learned to manage it. I had to <laughs> ask. Time is gone. I had to ask this too, Camille, because I think one of the things about Slam and the brand of Slam in general, I think a lot of people would agree with is, yo, people remember these iconic covers, right? These, yeah. The covers are, are what draws people a lot. So now you coming in as creative director, I have to imagine some of the pressure was, yo, these covers got to be dope. We got to have these covers with these yeah. women looking real dope, right? And, and how much, yeah. how much, because just for people to understand what you do as creative director, how much thought and input goes into what we see when we look at W Slam, whether online or physical, just how much thought of the presentation of everything and the pressure that goes into that. Definitely, I think. Um, and when I arrived, mind you, they were still doing one women's cover a year. It was I. They had done Maya Moore the year prior to me joining, um, and then the year I joined, they hadn't done one yet. Um, and I knew right then and there we had to get out of that cycle. We can't be in this one a year mindset, first of all. So I knew that pressure was on. Um, I went into my first cover shoot was with Liz uh, Cambage and Asia Wilson, you know, basically blind. <laughs> I, I, they were like, yeah, here's a shooter. You got the photographer, the photographer, Atiba Johnson, who's shot over 90 covers now of Slam. He's like the OG of the OG. Um, thank God he's, I mean, he was there because, if I had to like fully creative direct the shoot, I don't know how it would have gone. I had never done anything like that. Um, and he was just phenomenal. And Asian lizards, incredible themselves. Um, but yeah, I knew in the beginning it was going to be. So a lot of the, my, my first experience, especially with that first cover, came in, in design work and working with um, our art director, Lester Padilla, who's incredible. Um, and, and Susan Price Thomas, who kind of heads up the man, she's the managing editor of the magazine, really working closely with everyone, Dennis Page, I mean, who's an icon of, of slam, um, and working with everyone to find ways to, you know, not only make these covers like, here's someone in a uniform, which sometimes kind of turns into what it is on the NBA side, because you get five to 10 minutes and you get the shot and you're good um into really uh like real pieces and so um 
now I, I, it's definitely developed. I think we still were in that uniform mentality. We started styling. We started really thinking creatively about these covers, you know, going into the shoots and going out of the shoots and what the story is we're trying to tell. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that uh, that pressure is hard. And, and I think we've, we've made a lot of changes. There's more to come. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited about the work we've done thus far. And the first ever W Slam yes. magazine. Yes, like, I entire, have it yes, an entire yes. magazine. Which <laughs> I believe you tweeted out sold out in 24 hours. Yes. Something crazy like yes. that. Yes. Like it's, yes. A, it's a fantastic cover. Thank Diamond you. Shields, Arike and Gumbuwale, and Betanisha Laney uh, yeah, on the front. You. And like when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a, a an enormous step because it's an entire, mm -hmm. it's it's Slam being like, all right, look, we're going to do an entire magazine yep. uh, based off of not just women in basketball, but also the brand of W Slam. And it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And W Slam doesn't just cover like the pros either. Because mm -hmm. this is where I've first seen like Haley Van Lith, Paige mm -hmm. Beckers. Like mm -hmm. I've seen them all on like W Slam first. And then eventually mm -hmm. it goes onto the Slam High School page. And then the Slam, the, the big Slam page, like there's a progression system sort of there. But you know, the first cover, like, how, tell us about the process of that. Cause yeah. I know you've, I know you've been very busy with that yes, <laughs> over yes. the last several weeks <laughs> and probably even longer than that. Definitely. Um, I think I knew I wanted to do this. I wanted to be careful and not do it like every other slam issue. I knew this was special in itself. So, um, you know, when we started ideating what this would look like, my big concept I wanted to be the through line is, all right, we've had 25 years of WNBA success, the longest withstanding women's professional basketball league um, in the world. Um, and so how do we give, uh, pay tribute to the 25 years and, and the hundreds of women that have played in the league in those years while looking forward to the next 25? Um, and and Benaja, Diamond, and Enrique kind of, in their own respective re ways represent, I would say the next 25 years of, of faces we're gonna be seeing of superstars, right? You know, Benaja is a player that basically was told all you're gonna be is this defensive stopper, was waved, picked up, waved, picked up, waved. And then look at her now, she, she led the league in scoring last year. Um, and then this year is, you know, the first option in New York City. That's not an easy task. I mean, Diamond represents a player whose journey, who she was a superstar in high school, right? She's on that social media wave. So is Enrique. And so um, her journey has been really beautiful to watch. And I don't think it's even over yet I, I, at all. Um, but that, you know, she's had a career that, um, you know, she's coming into Chicago and finding her way, right? Um, but also she's such an influential person in the fashion space, which is what I loved so much about the draw for her. She's really, she's starting to style herself. Um, and I think that's something so special. And Enrique is Enrique. She's a bucket. She's a Kobe disciple. We saw yep. her hit those two shots at Notre Dame. Yep. Um, we've seen her do what she does. Um, and so I think, again, they just represent, um, the next chapter. And so when we talked about, you know, not only these three women, it's how do we style it? I wanted it to look like a TLC album cover. Like that was my, like, give me the, Fu <laughs> give me the Fugees, give me TLC, give me like, I don't like, it needs to look like an album cover, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when I talked to Chloe Jackson, who's a 2019 um, NCAA champion with Baylor, former NBA, WNBA player, um, she actually retired to go full-time styling. 
Um, she styled this and I talked, we talked a lot of denim. She, I mean, she was incredible. She did her thing. And then, um, Raven B. Verona, who shot it, who just shot the Met Gala, the VMAs, Teen Vogue, um, cover with Natalia Bryant. Um, I knew she was a superstar. She's Beyonce and Jay-Z's like former tour photographer. I'm pretty sure. I mean, she's just killer. And I, the first woman of color to shoot a cover for us. So, um, it was a really special whole, uh, three you know, shoot through and through. And really I wanted it to make, I wanted to make every piece of this matter. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that was the big vision we had uh, going into it. And then afterwards, Lester Padilla, I mean, again, did his incredible work on the artwork. We went with this, you know, album cover, lovers and friends announcement type of old school vibe. And, and, and he went crazy on that. So, it, I mean, everyone who was a part of this project, it was what made it so great. So it's, it was really, really fun putting it together. See, I love hearing that. I love hearing the, the thought process behind it, uh, Camille, and how you were trying to hit different things. Cause I think you guys really nailed it with, with that cover for sure. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short, anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. But just to bring it back to, um, bring it back to Hispanic Heritage Month, month, you know, just in terms of whether it's sports media or anything, what do you think that people can do better uh, to commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month? It seems like sometimes, I know for our proud Hispanic brothers and sisters, they're out there doing it, but more people need to to embrace it and, and, and talk about that as we are trying to do on this podcast. What do you think people can, you know, do better in this country from all backgrounds to commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month? Yeah, um, it's funny because I, I work really closely with uh, an organization called SCENE, the Sports Equity uh, Entertainment Network, uh, Sports and Entertainment Equity Network, apologies, um, which is all about um, raising, uplifting, and connecting black and brown voices in the sports and entertainment world. And um, when they approached me about, you know, what should we do about with Hispanic Heritage Month, what should we, I think the biggest thing for me was, I think, for everyone to do is really educate themselves on the meaning of Hispanic versus Latinx. I think there's a, mm. a, a big misconception yeah. or uh, there's just a blurred line. Um, when you're talking about Hispanic people, it's, it's uh, people from Spanish speaking countries. And that's pretty right. much the general statement of that. When you're talking about Latinx, you're talking about people from um, colonized countries that speak Spanish that come from Spanish speaking countries like Spain and the European countries over there. So um, there's a big difference there that I think matters um, when you're speaking to different people from these countries. Um, and so I think that's the biggest way to, to commemorate any holiday, right? Any heritage month um, when it comes to black history month to Hispanic care, every, all I ask for everyone to do is really use that time to, to educate yourself, find content that really, you know, maybe, allows you to learn something that you didn't know before uh, respective to those communities. Because in the end, everything that you know matters is really about um, understanding other people and understanding different backgrounds. Um, and that's how we develop empathy for people for you know situations that we just don't necessarily understand. Um, so I think that's the best way really for people to, to commemorate the month. I love that. I love that. I love that answer there. It was great because sometimes I feel like people do not understand the diversity among even different minority groups. 
right? Like this even happens in the black community where sometimes, you know, it's just, I mean, we are all black, but you know, you have people from Africa mm-hmm. of that descent, straight, you have people like myself who are of Caribbean background and descent mm-hmm. uh, and our producer, Greg. So there's so much diversity, just like you said, between the Hispanic mm-hmm. and Latinx communities, there's so much diversity there and, and we can do a better job of all of understanding that. So that was well said. You got great answers, Chanel. Oh, you got yeah. great answers. You're you right. Ryan, Ryan was right. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan was right. Yeah, Ryan was right. Go ahead, B. Go ahead, B. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I was going to, like, go back to the whole, you know, W Slam cover real quick also mm-hmm. because, like, you're making history in real time. And I don't know if you get to stop and think about those kind of things, but <laughs> this is stuff that Dexter and I talked about because, like, Dexter's had experience being the only black reporter at, like, a national network. I've mm-hmm. had experience being the only Latino in the room at a national, like, for example, when I was doing TV on MSG Networks, there ain't nobody mm-hmm. that looked like me that was mm-hmm. doing that. It was, like, me, mm-hmm. Bill Pito, insert other people here. All cool, but, like, at the same time, like, to do that and to be very young doing it is, mm-hmm. is you know, it's two very different, it's two very, um, things that you should be proud of basically so for, you, so for you just like do you ever get to stop and think about that because i know you said you, you you're able to take a breath now for a couple of days but you're gonna have to get right back into it work on another cover at some point yeah um i don't think it hit me until i saw the magazine in person for the first time I, that was literally mm. when i got home from vacation on sunday i like came home to it i was like oh my god i you know i, I help make this i yeah. i think Weirdly for me, sometimes I think if I think about it a little too much, it um, distracts me and I think inhibits my creative because the pressure allows it gets to me a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm very much an open, uh, I, I have, I struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm very open about mental health. Yeah. Um, and so for someone like me, I have to find a way to compartmentalize a little bit. Otherwise, I won't be able to like get the job in front of me done. Um, and so I think it was like at the very end when I started realizing, wow, like making history in real time. And that's when I really started to like congratulate myself. I think the whole process, I'm like, it wasn't good enough. It was this good enough. Like, I'm sure we could have done this instead of that. Cause like, you know, you start going through your head, you know, all the different ways and all the different things you could have done. Um, and again, that's why I try not to think about the pressure too much. So I don't allow myself to, to, um, you know talk myself i gotta talk myself off a ledge sometimes that's you know what creatives do unfortunately oh yeah no. <laughs> no, but, that, but that's real greg if you don't mind like giving us everybody on the screen but that's real because we all have experience with that mm-hmm. like we've all like in this room camille because you you probably don't know about our backgrounds like that but mm-hmm. you know dexter could speak for himself because i mean you know dexter obviously knows dexter better but i know for me like i've done a lot of uh, different creative things including which we've promoted on this podcast, Hidalgo mm-hmm. Heights, a fiction novel that I wrote during the pandemic. And the reason why I relate a lot to what you said is because, especially when you're doing things when you can be lonely in a lot of these mm-hmm. moments, because you're working with a team, but for some projects, like when you're coming up with the idea, where you're coming up with mm-hmm. different concepts, especially now when you're in isolation, a lot of it can just be like, like, who can I sort of bounce something off of? And it's like, if, if it's your call, you're the only person that you have to rely on in that moment. And that can be really yep. tough, you know, especially, especially in my case, if you're writing something that can mm-hmm. be really tough, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I totally feel you on that because it's very, very difficult. And uh, creatives are people that I've thought about during this pandemic because it's yeah. very, because I know from experience, Dexter knows from experience, mm-hmm. and obviously you know from experience, like shit is hard. 
Shit is yeah. hard to really push through yeah. your ideas and try to find time to do that and, you know, really, uh, really remain focused. I think the one thing you said, Camille, where I can relate to too, and I, I hear you on that, where sometimes thinking about where you are in something in the space can bring on a lot of anxiety yeah. uh, in that, and it's it's managing that and expectations. I think it is good to look and look back and sometimes say, oh man, this is what I've accomplished, especially when you're the first. And, and I hear you about when you're in it, you don't even realize it till you have a chance. <laughs> you just talked about coming back from vacation and then sitting back and being like, oh, I just did this. Yeah. Um, but then it does sit on you as a creative and you're like, I could have done this better. I hear you on yeah. all of that. Like Always. I'm so I'm so with you on it. But I do think at the same time it's important to reflect and give yourself the flowers. But also, you. you know, a lot of people like us, we're giving you the flowers. Um Thank you. as a woman of color, doing what you're doing in the position that you are, it is huge. Um, even if even if you didn't know it. And shout out to your friend <laughs> over the over the Cheddar Day Biscuits. <laughs> shout She's out the Rina. One. Shout Rina. out to Rena. Shout she's out to Rena. My girl, yeah. the one at Red Lobster. She like yes. she literally texts me. She goes, pull up to Red Lobster at Times Square right now. And you know, the rest of history. So. Out, let's let's give Rena the flowers too, because she she's like, look, girl, you need to get this done. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you listen, you know, you listen to your friend. That, and as kudos to that too, because we're all in those spaces. And I'm really happy you shared that story with the Thank audience you. because I think it's important for us as people of color in sports media to understand that there are times we sometimes have doubt. We might not think that we're ready, but we mean so much for what we're doing to a lot of other people. And like, just even hearing you say this, I won't let you know, Camille, you mean a lot to me. Just oh, hearing you say that, it's, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Brian feels the same and other people who are listening. So, you know, we're, we're definitely inspired. So please keep doing it. But I guess the last thing we'll ask you before we let you get out of here is, how do you feel about where things stand in terms of representation for women, particularly women of color in sports media, right? Because yeah. we still got some ways to go. There's still, yeah. there's not a lot of Camille's, there's not a lot of Dexter's, there's not a lot of Brian's out there still uh, in the spaces that need be. Where do you think things stand? How much more work do you feel like needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, let me first start by talking about Puerto Rico in itself. Um, sure. Because I think, the hardest thing with a lot of, you know, family friends or people that I know through people is uh, the lack of, uh, not necessarily, it's like the knowledge of opportunity, right? Yes. Like it's not even, it's not even the, You're gonna trigger yes, me lack, I know, I know there's a lack of opportunity. I know that, but it's the lack of knowledge of opportunity, right? And, yeah. and in, in Puerto Rico, basketball has always been to you know, had a, such a strong foothold in the country. I mean, you have their biggest artist owning a basketball team there. And, you know, it's it's very well known. Um, NBA players go to play there all the time. Yeah, all yeah. the time. And yeah, 100%. And it, it's, but women's basketball specifically has recently started growing in Puerto Rico, right? Mm-hmm. So they just made their first Olympics ever. Yep. This is the first team they've ever sent to the Olympics, which is incredible. Um, but, you know, I think especially in, in the smaller Caribbean places and islands, there's a lack of knowledge of opportunity um, and understanding that this is an opportunity that you this is a career path. Right. I, I thought I was going to be a doctor like you get you get taught five career paths. Right. Like a doctor, a lawyer, yep. uh, an accountant. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? And so um, especially especially from 
people of color, like our 100%. families, because oh, yeah. our, our yeah. families are like, look, we came to America, but we want you to have the stability or whatever. Like trying mm -hmm. to, even to this day, explaining to my parents, look, I left this job because this motherfucker was wilding, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> and all this shit. Like it, it's hard. It's hard for them yeah. to be like, wait, you can't just quit or whatever. I've worked a job I've hated for mad long, whatever, whatever. And then it gets yes. into that whole thing. Like people don't understand how difficult and really how triggering it can be yeah. for somebody coming from a black family, a Latino family, et cetera, et cetera. So continue. exactly. And it's funny because like to this day, my mom, my dad, like I don't think they know what I do. Like I just send them Same. the shit. I'm Same. like, here, yeah. I was on ESPN, <laughs> like enjoy. <Yeah. laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> uh. But I guess yeah, I I think that's one area that really um really I think needs work. And then definitely um we have to start lifting each other up on the way up, right? Like, yes. let's be honest. Our my generation is the first wave of women that are really in the positions they are right now. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't even say the past. Yeah, the past had them in the boardroom and some, but like from a media perspective, it wasn't there. We, I mean, I grew up, I, and I love her, but don't get me like I grew up watching Sam Ponder on College Game Day. Incredible analyst, but you know, where's the representation there? Ha yeah. You know, having them go to Maria Taylor was like a blessing. I was so happy for that. Um, but you know, I think that's that's where you know we need to start shifting the narrative, and I'm and I'm seeing it happen because the public's forcing it to happen, not because these companies are making the for the you know the proactive decisions to make it happen. So. I think that's the biggest um, areas, you know, when it comes to knowledge of opportunity and then creating the opportunity and lifting each other up on the, along the way. Because, you know, we're all in this fight together. We're all in this, you know, we're all rowing the same direction, especially when it comes to women's basketball. Um, so that's really what it's all about. No, that was that was beautifully said. Knowledge yes. of opportunity is so key. As somebody who is a descendant of someone from a small Caribbean island, I know that mm -hmm. all too well. And a lot of people who just this knowledge of opportunity that we are, are just um, not aware of. Camille, we have to say again, thank you. We're giving you, you all the flowers. We we wish you much continued success. And we'd love to have you back on here because we know Always. we know we know yes. one th we know one thing for sure. There are going to be dope covers to come. <laughs> you and Brian are going to keep the same Puerto Rican short energy. That is still going to be there. And we need more of that on this podcast. Hey, I got my inches. I got my inches. See, Brian, I don't, know when, I don't know when Brian stopped growing the way he didn't get his 16 inches. years old, and I yeah. was pissed. I, I, was on, I was on varsity. I was a starting point guard. And I thought I was going to get to at least like 5'10", 175. I was like five. I was signing up for a recruiting page thing. Like NCSA had to put the profile there. I had Which you show me the page of. Yeah, I had, cor I had cornrows, Camille. You know what I mean? I had cornrows. I was looking like Chino XL, except mad smaller. And uh, yeah, it wasn't. It, it's not. It's not easy, even when you're at like a, a class B school, to be a, a five seven, one hundred fifty pound uh, starting point guard. So not yeah. not easy at all. But 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 both of you guys, you know, you have most four point it. plays in school history and third and assists in a season. See, ever, see? He, rem that. he remembers that. Flowers, Pass flowers. point guard. You know, Patrick Beverly <laughs> defense. I was an antagonist. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, Camille, please uh, continue the great work, like we said. And like we guys. said, we, we, we love you back. Please keep it up. We're going to be watching everything you're doing. W Slam, for those who don't know, go give them a follow. Yes. Go pick up the latest copy uh, when you can and follow Camille for all her work and everything W Slam is doing. Camille, bless you, sister. You guys. I'll be back soon, all right? Thank y'all. Yes. No doubt. Absolutely. Thank you. One time for your mama.
Well, I haven't done one time for your mind in a while, but we are back here to talk about some interesting things that we like or things that are going on in the world. I have found a little YouTube series that I've become a fan of around one of my favorite producers. And Brian, you know, he's always got something for you. Always got something interesting. Brian, what you got today for one time for your mind? For those of you who know, uh, may have been following me, there was a little bit of transactional news on my feed shared earlier this week that I left the website I was writing at. And uh, I'm, when I did that, I became as happy as I did in months. Uh, but I'm only one of billions of people who have done this nationwide over the course of 2021 for what people are calling the Great Resignation, which actually even has its own Wikipedia page. It's basically people quitting their jobs because of any number of reasons, and we're seeing more reporting and more studies on that. So I wanted to pass along a couple of updates that I found very interesting because I know from talking to a lot of people that there are mental health reasons being, you know, sort of one of the leading factors in this. Uh, caring about work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera, that they're not getting from their companies. So people have just been saving enough so that they can do this, either take some time off or find a better job, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's a different time now. So I saw the study from shrm.org. Sorry, because I almost butchered that. Basically, on their study, who's thinking of leaving? It says younger workers, including millennials, which would apply to me and Dexter, because Dexter's right at the right, Dex. You're right at the the. I, I'm, of that. I am an older millennial. You could say. Yeah, yes. uh, including millennials and Generation Zers um, are more likely than Generation X and Baby Boomers to say they're actively searching for a new job right now, according to research. Additionally, Black and Hispanic workers are more likely than white workers to say they're actively looking for new employment opportunities. And this means, uh, the gentleman Alonzo, I'm forgetting his title, but he says this means our inclusion efforts are not as effective as we thought, which I found very interesting. And then the most common responses that employees give for jumping ship uh, better compensation cited by 53% of the respondents, which, you know, more pay enables people to do the things they love outside of work, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, that's the point, right? You don't want to, you don't want one source of income, but you also don't want to be strapped down to just one thing because this goes to the next point, better work-life balance, 42%. This option specifically excluded remote work, uh, which is only available to 47% of the workforce right now, which is lower than I thought, Dex. I did want to point that out. And then mm -hmm. a bunch of other people, uh, smaller numbers, but you know, significant numbers still. You're seeing 36% better benefits, 33% career advancement opportunities, 33% desire to make a career change called COVID clarity, Alonzo noted, explaining that some people became more aware of what they really want out of a job and in their lives as a result of the pandemic. So for me personally, pretty much all of that applies. And for a lot of other people, I think multiple of those things apply, not, you know, one, one more than the other, perhaps, but I think it's more of a ranking system than just choosing one of those things. So really, I think people should be aware of that. And uh, I encourage people like do what's best for you. Like, I think the way, because we've talked about a lot on this podcast, digital media in particular and sports media, what we know, the industry sucks. And there are very few full-time jobs out there. And people have this mentality that just because there are full-time jobs available that you need to sit there and take it. And it's like, no, we don't. And if we have that mentality that, look, a job is a job, then we're not going to get nowhere as a, as a digital 
media industry, as a sports media industry, and as a world, really, uh, if we're just settling for less and just taking shit just because it's stable and just because it's a job and it's not fair to the workers, to the workforce, et cetera, et cetera. So people need to do what's best for them and not have this mentality of just accepting less. So if you can and you have the means and you want to make that decision, I encourage you to do so if you decide that it's best for you because a lot of other people are doing the same. And at the end of the day, and this is something that Dexter tells me when he, we have these long conversations about this stuff, you figure it out. You just figure it yep. out. Sometimes you just jump. You you know, it's good to have a plan, but sometimes you can't even have time to do that. You just figure it out. And if you really want to make something work out, it'll work itself out. All, all true. All well. And more people are doing this. I've known quite a couple people who have left their jobs in the last year for some for all the reasons that Brian mentioned uh, there. Uh, real quick. I have been enjoying a recent new web series, I guess you would say, that I thought came about from a place I didn't think would come. But uh, for many people who know me as a hip hop fan, DJ Premier is probably my favorite producer, definitely my favorite hip hop producer uh, out there. And he has started a new series on his YouTube channel called So What's Up. And I really encourage you, if you are a fan of hip hop, particularly if you're a fan of, you know, with Primo, that boom bap hip hop, um, early 90s hip-hop, East Coast, you're going to want to watch this. What Premier does on in this series is he talks a bit about the ideas and construction of different beats he made for songs for different artists. Uh, so there's one on MCs Act Like They Don't Know, KRS-One, or there's one on Represent uh, by Nas, which is a really good one with an interesting story about how there was also an alternate version of the song, which I didn't even know about, and I'm a huge Nas fan and Illmatic head and didn't even know about this. But there's a lot of stories behind these productions and he really shows also about how everything was done before digital and on the analog side. And so a lot of this and every time he shows you one of the beats, he's loading it up from a floppy disk. Yes, the young kids probably even know what a floppy disk was, but this is what you had to store media on that you inserted into your computer back into the day. And it was everything for everybody, including producers. So all these stories around how they got everything to get onto this floppy disk and produce this beat. And you just learn a lot about the timing, the stories behind the beats with the artist, working with the artist and you know everything like that. So there's some really good ones. There's seven episodes at the time we were recording this that is out right now. Um, some really good, they're very short watches. I think the longest one is eight minutes and 30 seconds or so. That's the Nas represent uh, episode. So if you're really a fan of hip hop, specifically if you are a fan of Primo, um, and that sound of beats from the early 90s, like I am, then, you know, this is one to watch. But salute to Primo for doing this because Word. he hasn't always talked a lot about his style and how he did everything. And he hasn't always showed everybody, like he hasn't really, he's talked about how he's very secretive about showing how he does his scratching for the hooks and everything. And he doesn't really get into that on here. But the fact that he's just pulling back the curtain a little bit on some of the stories around these artists and these beats that are just so legendary is great. And Primo's got so many, he can do so many of these. I don't even know when he's gonna stop. There's ones I really want him to do that I haven't even uh, heard him touch on yet that are just some of my, my favorites. So I'm really intrigued to see what he does on, on this a lot that's so good. You know, I think there's other ones who go with Nas and Jay and different artists, Guru obviously from Gangstar. So this is gonna be so much that can be done. So salute to the legend Primo. Uh, for doing this. I'm looking forward to more. I'm really enjoying it. I love when we get these kind of things in hip hop and it's really short, digestible content. So 
salute to him and his team for putting this out because I found it really, really dope. And I've just thoroughly um, enjoyed it, you know, for all. So I know, Brian, you haven't checked it out yet. Please. I'm going to. I'm definitely yeah, going check to. it out. I think you're going to like it. I would even say for you to start with that, start with that Nas represent one because I think <laughs> you'll find that rather interesting for sure. But that's all the time we have for this episode. 193. We're almost near 200, which makes yes. Brian smile. Yes. Of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, special shout out. Come with it, our, it works. Come, come with, with it. it. You know come what I'm saying? It. Like, we out here. <laughs> <laughs> special shout out but, to but, our but, guests. But don't lowball us either, because we've dealt with that shit. Uh, I'm not, time, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't deal with lowballing yeah, at all whatsoever. Nah, nah. Uh, special shout out to our guest, Camille Boucheta, who joined us from W Slam Creative Director. That was a fantastic conversation. Uh, that we had with her and we look forward to having her on again as usual please continue to support us in the ways you do follow us on twitter instagram facebook as well we love your support we love the continued support as we now are in our fourth year season whatever you want to call it of this podcast but for episode 193 he's brian fonseca i'm dexter henry until next time y'all peace